0: Have you guys ever been introduced to something, and immediately you were convinced it was something awesome? You were convinced you wanted to be on board, you wanted to follow along, and you wanted to be involved in this thing, whatever it might be. So you were committed, you wanted to be involved, but you had absolutely no idea how or what to do to be involved, how to get on board with this. I know I have before in the past. Um, When I was a teenager, I really, really wanted to get into radio, wanted to have a podcast or a radio show or something like that. But I was a teenager. I had absolutely no idea how to do that. And in this example, in this case, the way that I got involved with radio is I just started researching and learning and trying to do my best to just do it on my own. And that worked for a while, but ultimately that didn't work out well because I had no instruction. I had nobody there to lead me in a way that I could learn. So eventually I started working for a radio station, and I was their intern there, and within a couple weeks they hired me um, full-time to do a radio show. So I learned a lot because I was instructed. I feel like a lot of people who are new Christians face the same issue. They're sold, they're on board, they really want to be involved, but they have no idea what to do, because they're brand new Christians. Maybe this was the case for you. Today we are going to be in the text, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll be in verses 1 through 12, you see it up there. But I want to give you a little background, because the church in Thessalonica that Paul is writing this letter to is exactly in this situation. They're a new church they are new Christians, most of them, and they are on board, they're sold, but they don't know exactly what to do. So this is Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica. It's a church that Paul had planted himself, and this, that was on his second missionary journey. So again, they're a fairly new church, and Paul writes this book with Silas and Timothy, they all write it together, to answer questions the church might have, to continue to teach them. To uplift and guide them. So, some background on the text there. This is a new body of Christians, and they're looking for guidance, and that is what Paul is giving. So, we'll be in the first half of chapter four today. As we begin to read the text, I want you to think about that background a little bit, and how this letter can be given to us in the same way. How might we learn? How might we be challenged? And how can we be uplifted as Christians? And how can we live this Christian life? So if you would, read with me and we're going to get started with the first eight verses of chapter four. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you should do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, for your sanctification, that you you might abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body, in holiness and in honor. Do not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles, who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all of these things, <clears throat> As we told you beforehand, and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but for holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God. God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. First eight verses. I entitled this section, Live. Because... The first eight verses of 1 Thessalonians 4 are live to please God. That is the main point that Paul is writing. I write this, so you ought to walk to please God, is what the text says. The whole goal for the church in Thessalonica, for Paul writing them, and for us as we read this letter, the whole goal is that we live a life pleasing to God. Paul also states this other times as he writes throughout Scripture. An example I thought of, Romans 14, Romans 14, 8, says, For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Sound like, kind of the same idea, at least it did for me. We live a life for God. But Paul also says, you're already doing this. He tells the church in Thessalonica, good job! But he states that you are to do this more and more. Continue doing this. Continue living to please God. So if we as Christians, and we the Christians in Thessalonica as well, are to do this to keep living for God, how might we do that? That's what comes up verses 2-6 here in 1 Thessalonians 4. This is the practical how-to. How might we continue living a life to please God? This is the instructions, and Paul states that these instructions are not from him, but from Jesus. They are the will of God, verse 2 says. And they're given for the purpose of holiness. They're given to make us holy before God. First thing we see Verse 3. What's it say? It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you might abstain from sexual immorality. I don't want to just skim over this, because I feel like that would be the easy thing to do. This is Paul writing the commands of Jesus. We, we shouldn't skim over this, because guys, brothers, sisters, we struggle with this. This is really tough for us. The reason that I want to point this out specifically is this is a challenge for us, and all of this is for the same goal. It's our control of our body. So what we go on to see here in verse 4, that each one of you might know how to control his own body. This is all for the purpose of, of living to please God. Verse 5 uh, verse five and 6, I want to read this again for you guys. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, so no one's to transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger of all things. We told you beforehand, and we solemnly warned you. The point of this is to live... Differently than the Gentiles, than the sinners around you, for you and I. We are living for God, and that means we're different. And it's hard, because sexual immorality and lust is a true challenge for us. Verse 6 brings up the idea, of you do this, you do not wrong your brother. And specifically, (coughs) in this context, it means in this immoral way. The NLT puts it really plainly, and so I'm going to read the NLT, verse 6, the last half. It says, Never harm a fellow believer in this manner by violating his wife. Pretty plainly, when we're just talking about sexual immorality, that we should not harm our brother by taking his wife, by violating her. But I don't want you to get caught up on that That's really, really important. But think about this in a general sense as well. We are not to wrong our brothers. We're not to be malicious to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all one, and we are set apart, different from the Gentiles. Again, don't skim over this because you're here today as a church, you're a Christian, and you think maybe, you know, I don't really struggle with this. We do. I do. I have friends that do. Just yesterday, Sunday, I noticed that there was a job opening back in Montana where I'm from. And I said, man, that's weird. That's where my friend works. He's the preacher there. Come to find out after I listened to their podcast and a few things that he stepped out and violated another man's wife within the body. It's hard, Satan uses it, and these are real things we face. So how do we do it? Practically, we control our own body. Why? To please God. We do this. We do not wrong our brother. Why do we do this? Verse 7 and 8, For God has not called us for impurity, but for holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God. God who gives his Holy Spirit to us. I think that verse is really powerful. If we ignore this, we're not ignoring man. We're not just ignoring another thought somebody else has that we could agree with or we could disagree with. We are ignoring the command of God. Oh, who's God? Yeah, he's the one that gives us his Holy Spirit. That's powerful. I like the line, we are called for holiness, not impurity. The text just said that. I think a lot of times we get so caught up in impurity that we think we should live for it. No, Paul reminds us that God has created us to be holy, to live, to please him. So if we're living a life to please God, and everything we've looked at so far is It's practical advice for that. It's how to control our body, how to live a life pleasing to God from ourselves, from within. How do we show everyone else that we are living for God? It's by our love. So let's keep reading here. Picking up in verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed it is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout all of Macedonia, Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do this more and more. Love one another. They've already known these commands from God. I'm sure we as Christians are familiar as well. There's many, many examples throughout Scripture. Let me give you a few here today. John thirteen thirty four, the words of Jesus Christ himself. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I love you, you are also to love one another. The words of Jesus. Jesus told us to love one another. If you think of loving your brethren, a book that always comes to mind for me is 1 John. Many great examples from 1 John as well. I'm going to give you two out of chapter 4 of 1 John this morning. 1 John 11 states, Beloved, if God so loved us, aren't we also ought to love one another? 1 John 4.20 If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother, whom he has seen, if he cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Love. Love one another. That's what Paul continues to write in his first letter to the Thessalonians here. But what's he say to them? He says, you guys already know this, much like you and I. We know the teachings of Jesus. We've maybe read 1 John and the rest of the New Testament. They already knew as well, but what's he urged them to do? He says, continue doing so more and more. In verse 10, continue doing so more and more. You've already been doing this to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. I hope I didn't run that phrase out too much to you guys, but continue to do this more and more. There's no end to that. More and more continues to grow more and more every time you might even think you're loving your brother enough. Do it more and more. So we're looking at a life that's pleasing to God. Everything we've seen, we know now that we are too. work on ourselves, abstain from sexual immorality, and we are to externally show that we are living for God by loving others. How does this look like to those outsiders, though? If we are loving our brethren, loving those around us, how do the outsiders know that we're any different? follower of Christ, what does that look like? Let's keep reading. Verses 11 and 12. 1 Thessalonians. four. And aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we previously instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. I read these last two verses of what I'm going to cover this morning, verses 11 and 12 of 1 Thessalonians 4. And I really struggled with it. Because I could see myself interjecting personal thoughts really easily right here. It says to live quietly, work with your own hands, so that others may see the life you live. And I was like, well... I can make this a nice little sermon about minimalism and how you should work for a living. Like, no, that's that's Harold. That's Harold speaking. That's not, not what the Word of God is saying. Think about it. It says live quietly. We are, should aspire to live quietly, as Paul instructs us. We're to mind our own affairs, and we're to work. When I... Tried to remove myself from the equation. I couldn't help but think of Jesus. The words of Jesus. Matthew 19.21 If you would, be perfect. Go therefore, sell what you possess, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. Matthew 19.21 That's pretty serious. What's Jesus say we are to do with our lives? Give it up. I think that may be a big part of what this live quietly is really referring to, what Paul is writing to the Thessalonians and then to us. Don't get me wrong. Paul is not saying that we are to live a life of poverty. He's not saying that we have to do anything extreme. But what he is saying is that we are to live quietly. We're to live modestly and work for what we have. I think each one of us in this room does that in a different way. But all I can think of when, when I hear of, of things like this is really humors me because successful people do live this way. They live modest lives, even though you would think they wouldn't have to. One of my favorite financial guys to listen to, is Dave Ramsey, because he likes to yell at people, and that's funny to me. But Dave Ramsey has this thing on his radio show called The Millionaire Minute, and he has his listeners who are millionaires call in. And he always asks really simple questions to the millionaires. <clears throat> My favorite question he asks are, how much was the last pair of jeans you bought? And usually people are like, oh, I shop at Ross, they were $12, or I went to Goodwill, they were only 5 I'm like, these guys are worth $5 million, $3 million in the bank, and they buy $5 Goodwill jeans. What? I think that's a fun, easy example to show what Paul is writing to the Thessalonians here. Live your life quietly. Don't splurge, don't try and impress people, but live with what you make and live in a way that is modest. Why are we to do this? It's because we are before all of these outsiders. People are watching us. As Christians, the reason we would live a life like this is that we can show an example to all of the non-believers around us. Again, I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation what verse 12 says here. Because it's really good, it's really straightforward. People who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not have to depend on any other. You won't have to depend on anyone else. They will respect you by seeing how you live. Also comes to mind, scripture-wise, Colossians 4, verse 5. I invite you to write that one down to look at it with me, if you will. It says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. So what's the point of living modestly? It's not to not have nice things. It's not to be in poverty. But what it is to be is an example that you might take every opportunity and make the most of it. That the people that are non-believers around you We'll see that this way you live is because of Christ. We are leading. We are examples with our life. That is what Paul is writing to the church here. All right. Wrapping it up here, just reminding you of all the things we talked about today. This church in Thessalonica was a new church. Paul had just planted it on his second missionary journey. They're new believers. They had questions. They were seeking. They were looking for direction. But man, were they on board. They were excited about this faith they just found. If I can remind you of my example at the beginning, I was super, (coughs) very excited about starting my own radio show, about making a podcast, being in the, the radio world. But I had no idea how to execute it. It wasn't until I got the opportunity to be instructed by people that would show me how to do radio that I could become effective. Paul is that to the Thessalonians here. And Paul is writing this letter that we may use it today as well. He helped guide them with his words, and that's the same for us. We can look at the Thessalonian letter and see how we are to be guided as Christians Today we look at three elements of Christian living. He outlines them in chapter 4. I was in verses 1 through 12 today. We must live to please God. Secondly, we must continue to love others more and more. And lastly, we must lead and live our lives as an example to those non-believers that are surrounding Each one of us, you and me, I know it every day. So don't just think of this as a letter to the Thessalonians that Paul wrote. Like I said at the beginning, think about how we might also be challenged. Do you think this letter is a little uplifting to you? I sure hope so. But hopefully it's challenging. And I pray that today, what I've just delivered to you, challenges you in a way To live, love, and lead. Because without those things, how is anyone going to see that you're living for Christ? Live for Christ. Love others around you more and more. And lead a life, an example, to the unbelievers around you.